brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Inside the Birds is back. Jeff Mosher alongside Adam Kaplan. And as we always try to do on Inside the Birds, we try to bring the most objective, insightful, thought-provoking analysis of what's going on with the Eagles, what they're thinking. And there might not be a better resource to help us with that than today's guest, former Eagles president, Joe Banner. Joe, thanks so much for joining us on Inside the Birds. Uh, we hope you're, you're safe and healthy. Uh, you look good. How have you been holding up during the pandemic? You know, so far, so good. How about you guys? Well, you know, Adam hasn't gotten a haircut in three months, and <laughs> I just let my brother-in-law do mine. So you can judge which one of us is in better shape. <laughs> yeah, I'm not to compete on that front. Yeah, exactly. There you uh, go. So, all right, Jeff. So, so it's it. You know, Jeff. It's funny. This this Jalen Hurts pick. I know we're going to talk about it. Yep. This is pretty much dominated talk radio this week. I, and unlike anything the Eagles have done in years. Joe, I have to ask this question. You, you know, you, you were in the league for a long time with Eagles, Eagles and Browns, of course. When when something happens that you're not expecting, or the fans aren't expecting, do you worry about perception after these things happen? You know, barely is the honest answer to the question. I mean, listen, they're, the fans are integral to the organization. They're a crucial part of your success. So you want them to be happy. And you want them to believe in what you're doing. On the other hand, you know, in the end, you're going to be held accountable for the outcome. And the truth is, if you end up winning, they're happy. If you end up losing, they're not, whether they approve of the move at the time it was made. So you try to stay very focused on, uh, you know, frankly, blocking out anything from the outside, not just that kind of thing, but anything that you think could distract from you being really objective and just doing what you think is right. Uh, so you never want to provoke <laughs> upset. But if it's a consequence and you really believe in what you did, then you got to just do it. That, that's true. Joe, we, we have a lot of questions on Jalen Hurts that we want to ask you from a variety of different angles. Uh, first, I just want to let people know that they can find you on Twitter. You're very active on Twitter at JoeBanner13. Uh, they can find this show on Twitter at InsideBirds, at Kaplan NFL for Adam, at Jeff Mosher NFL for myself. Uh, got a couple of questions. First, I want to stop real quickly and pause for a word from our great sponsors. 
Hey, it's Jeff Mosher. Adam Kaplan and I love using Anchor for our Inside the Birds podcast every week. It's so user-friendly, anyone can create their own podcast, and you should too. Just download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor gives you everything you need to start your own podcast from your phone or computer. Its creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast for a professional sound, and Anchor will distribute your podcast for you to Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so many other platforms. It can be heard by everyone, just like Inside the Birds. You can also make money from your pod with no minimum listenership. What are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to create your podcast today. Okay, we're going to stop one second and tell you about our friends at DraftKings. This Saturday, UFC 249 is poised to be action-packed. The fighters are eager to step into the octagon, and DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the octagon with a special sign-up offer up to $1,000. Think you know who's going to win the big fight this weekend? Put your money where your mouth is and place a bet on the winner with DraftKings Sportsbook Plus. You can parlay fights within the card and even bet on which round the fight will end and how it'll end. Hate that lull in the action between fights? Don't worry, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. DraftKings Sportsbook has recently launched a mobile casino in Pennsylvania with hundreds of options. Players can choose from slots, blackjack, roulette, and table games with live dealers, with DraftKings Sportsbook, you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated Sportsbook DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the code ITB when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code ITB and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with the Meadows Racetrack and Casino and Hollywood Casino at Penn National Racecourse. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Okay, so Joe, let's expand a little bit on the Jalen Hurts uh, uh, picking. I'm curious as if you, if that's something that you saw coming, knowing how the Eagles as the way you do, and what your first thought was when you saw that they picked him 53rd overall? No, I didn't see it coming. And uh, I imagine unless you were in the building and kind of heard the thought process behind it, uh, it would be hard to have anticipated that. So I kind of come out on an in-between spot on this. I mean, I probably would not have made the move. And part of that is I, I like Hertz, but I don't love Hertz. I would have wanted to know that if I was going to do this, I was going to get a quarterback that – uh, would really step in and be successful, or if it came to be that I wanted to trade him in three years, the chances of it happening were really, really high. But I don't share kind of the ir- irrational, to me, overreaction to the move. I mean, uh, I remember when we picked Kevin Cobb, we, we felt there were three possible outcomes. One, we missed on the evaluation, and we got it wrong. And, you know, that happens in the second round. Only 40% of second-round picks become solid starters. I'm not talking pro bowlers. I'm just talking solid starters. So that was option number one. Option number two was that uh, he was so good that in a couple of years that he was kind of the person who would inherit the job from Donovan and uh, put us in a position where we already had somebody who could carry us for the, uh, you know, next whatever it was, five, seven, ten years. Uh, The third was that he was really good, but Donovan was also still really good, and he created incredible potential trade bait. So we felt like two of those three things were, were good outcomes, and the two of the three that were good, we controlled because it was about whether we were right with the evaluation or not. So I just look at this. I think of it very similarly. Um, you know, you're 
mid to late second round, you know, you get a moderate chance of hitting on a, just a skin, solid starter. We're not talking pro ball difference maker. Uh, and you, if you're right on the evaluation, they have to have believed he can step in and play games and win. He won't be as good as Wentz, but can absolutely step in there better than a backup they could have signed. And potentially down the road could be the replacement. I don't really believe that's what they think, but could be. Uh, or you have somebody three years from now that teams are really craving and you have a potential trade. That's exactly how the Cobb thing turned out for us. Um, you could say in hindsight, we actually got the evaluation wrong, but it still turned out well because the perception was that we got the evaluation right. So I think of it similarly. I don't think it was uh, ill-conceived. I don't think they did it without a plan. I do think they'll actually find ways to use him to get some value out of him. Um, so I, I, again, it may not have been the path I would have chosen, but I don't think it's an irrational, just kind of insane thing to have done. When you drafted Kevin Cobb, but was there a thought process that Kevin could be that guy, that next starter? Were you guys down on Donovan at that point? Or were you like, you know what? We have a pretty good roster. Here's an opportunity to get a guy we might be able to flip like you flipped uh, A.J. Feely. Yeah, no, it was totally age-driven. We thought Donovan was still playing well. He thought his immediate future was, without any question, going to be with us and successful. But as we look two or three or maybe even four years down the road, which was the length of contract we'd have with Cobb, you know, we didn't feel like that was as certain. We would not have picked Cobb if we didn't really like him. So it wasn't like we kind of, oh, maybe he has a shot. We didn't feel that way about him. And you can look back in hindsight and say we made a mistake in that. But we thought that he would be a quality starting quarterback in the NFL. Bought us two, three, four years to see how Donna was doing. If we were right on the evaluation, worst case scenario, we had a great trade. Best case scenario, we had the new guy that could carry us for hopefully a decade. That's kind of a no-lose if you get the evaluation right. Right. Let me ask you from this standpoint, not just from an Eagle standpoint, Joe, but you worked obviously uh, same position with the Cleveland Browns and, and you also have a lot of connections around the NFL. Every team thinks differently. They operate differently. So I guess, I guess what I would ask is in this situation, how do you balance that perspective of getting the best player available on your board versus the perspective that quarterbacks are always going to be a little bit more overdrafted? Because I guess I don't know what the Eagles board looks like. I don't know if they had Jalen Hurts 53rd overall, but like you said, and like many people have told Adam and I, most teams we've spoken to had Jalen as a third or fourth round prospect who would probably get picked in the second round because he's a quarterback. So how do you balance that BPA versus we want a quarterback and then not reaching too much? Yeah. So, you know, the Eagles history is really clear and Jeff drove this from before uh, he owned the team and him and I were philosophically talking about teams and you can see it through the actions. They believe that there's nothing even close in importance to having a top tier quarterback. I mean, you know, wasn't well, world may had an argument about Ricky Williams and Edgar and James was Don McNabb. We didn't, <clears throat> you know, the world may have thought, you know, Kevin Cobb was a mistake or Mike Vick was a mistake. You know, we didn't, you know, so <clears throat> the view is that if you had a quarterback sitting on the board that you thought could be a quality starter in the NFL, let's say top 10, 12 starter in the NFL, <clears throat> you can't pass that guy. You really can't pass him. Maybe if you're sitting at pick eight and you've already got a really good quarterback, but you're now in the second half of the second round. Remember, they know the stats I just gave you. They have about a 40% chance of hitting on a solid starter. They know that. So they have a 60% chance of missing on the pick if they're just doing what the league does over a long period of time. So that's what they're comparing. We have a chance to make a pick that we will believe in. We'll be sure is in the 40%, but the reality is he could be in the 60%, even though we don't think so. Or a quarterback we think can be a difference maker in the NFL. 
I don't think most people that appreciate the importance of quarterbacks and Eagles clearly are one of those organizations, put a huge emphasis on it from the day Jeff arrived. I don't think if you look at those two odds, you pass on a quarterback you believe in. Now, the second part of the question is where I have a little more disagreement with what they did is, is he that guy? Mm-hmm. And personally, I'm not prepared to say he isn't because he definitely has some real attributes, but I have some doubts that would leave me probably a little careful about picking him at that spot. Joe, before we move on to the next subject here, when you and I worked at ESPN together, I'll never forget when you told me, I think the Eagles might have drafted a potential Hall of Famer. And I was kind of like taken aback. Do you still feel that way now that we're four years later? And Wentz? Yes. Yes. I mean, other than injury, which is not a minor other thing, believe me. Yeah. I think probably would have affected whether they picked Hertz or not, even though they believe in it. I mean, listen, and I've been saying this, some franchises are trying to figure out how to get in the playoffs and hope they get hot. The Eagles are trying to build the best roster in the league that they legitimately can expect to win a Super Bowl. Those produce very different decisions when you're actually sitting there on the clock making decisions, deciding what free agents to sign. So if you're just trying to get in the playoffs, the idea that you have a really good quarterback, but he may get hurt sometimes may not be as devastating as if your sole goal is winning Super Bowls. Because you can't win Super Bowls if you don't either have a quarterback that's playing all season or somebody who can step in when he's not playing and keep the team not necessarily as good, but good enough to still win against anybody. So, you know, when you put those two things together, uh, you know, it makes sense. And I think that Wentz is on the edge of, are we starting to say he can't be the guy we can count on every season? I personally haven't given up, but we're at the point where it's clearly a very critical question. Because if your goal is to win Super Bowls and he's not going to make it through, you know, the end of January, he can't be the guy to get, get you there. Hmm. So I still don't think we should conclude that but I think we should be worried about it and watching it carefully. Do you think Joe, that there's anything to what happened in the 2011 draft where Russell Wilson went and then the Eagles went with Nick Foles. We know about their interest in both that parlays into their thinking now is if we like Hertz, we can't wait. We must get him at 53rd. Even it's a little bit higher than where we may have him graded on our board. Yes, absolutely. I think everybody who was in that row on when it came to quarterback again, would never again take the risk of waiting, thinking you were waiting wisely, but taking the risk that you were waiting for a quarterback that you believed in as strongly as we believed in Russell. There was no, no doubt, no debate, no nothing. Every single person involved in that decision was absolutely in love with Russell Wilson. The mistake we made was we did a tremendous amount of research, every one of us calling everybody we knew, doing every piece of research we could, and we were absolutely positive that we would get him in the middle of the third round. And why not, you know, use some other picks and, you know, build the team as long as we were sure. Well, obviously, you know, we got too cute for our own good. We passed on, you know, what's turned out, in my opinion, to be a great quarterback. Uh, and changed just the history of the franchise. Andy Reid would probably still be there. A number of other things would mm-hmm. still be very different if we had picked uh, Russell Wilson. Um, so I do think anybody was sitting in that room when it came to quarterback again. If you had that level of belief, that's, of course, the first thing that has to be true would never again take the risk of trying to wait 10 picks or 20 picks and lose a possible quarterback that everybody in that building believed in. Can, can you remember, can you describe a little bit what the war room was like when Seattle made that pick? <laughs> well, there was a stunned silence because we weren't even sitting there. I mean, it's almost embarrassed to say we weren't sitting, you know, sometimes you're sitting there like, like when we picked Brian Westbrook, we've been trying to trade up for like 20 picks. Hmm. 
And every single time the pick was announced that we hadn't trade up, we were holding our breath. Oh, he's going to be gone now. And each time he wasn't, we were like, oh, good, we're alive. Get back on the phone and see if we can trade up again. We were not doing that with Russell Wilson. Awesome. We're actually sitting there very relaxed and very confident and just, oh, good, six more picks, five more picks, you know, whatever it was. And we were excited about getting to our picks so we could pick them. And so I think we were all like, did we hear that correctly? Because what happens is there's a person kind of behind the main table on the phone uh, connected to New York and actually telling us who the teams are picking before you're seeing it on TV. Sometimes by 10 seconds, sometimes by a minute or two, but we're actually getting a heads up. So this person out of nowhere, just very calmly, by the way, says, oh, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks. And we almost thought he was kidding because you couldn't have possibly known. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're thinking and said it that nonchalantly. Uh-huh. <laughs> it probably took about 30 seconds for us to become convinced it really happened. And then we, frankly, were quickly scrambling to figure out who to pick instead. And, you know, we ended up with Nick Foles. But that wasn't obvious, by the way. There were a group of other guys we liked. But we weren't really that focused on because Russell Wilson was just going to be sitting there waiting for us. One follow up on that on Russell Wilson and your history in the league. You know, we know that six foot, less than six foot quarterbacks are typically not the norm. <clears throat> Russell's five ten and a half. When you saw him first, did you go, "Wow, he's small"? But like, what were your thought process when you first yeah, graded his tape? Exactly, what we did. I mean, we literally said he there's a chance he'd be the first pick in this draft if he wasn't small. And mm. certainly he'd go in the first round. And I think if, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and Kyla Murray and Drew Brees had done what they've done now, he would have been the first pick in the draft because that's now just dismissed as, as you know, you got to have the right guys, got to have the right skill set. I think he has to be athletic and quick to, you know, compensate a little bit for his size. But that guy can definitely win Super Bowls in the NFL. But at that point, that was, people were totally dismissing you know that. So we were absolute look was, wow, this guy has got everything you're looking for, but God, he's not even six feet tall. Can he, can he make it in this league? Can he win big? Cause that's what we were thinking. Can he win big? And in the end we thought he could, but why pick or pick him higher than you need to. And that's why I believe that pick did influence this pick because nobody in that room would ever make that mistake again. 
Wow, fascinating. And yet Nick Foles becomes the Super Bowl champion that the Eagles have been looking for for so long. It's amazing how <laughs> how fate works its way out. Um, I think you, you mentioned something interesting, and you have an evaluation of Jalen Hurts. I don't know, Joe, how many people realized uh, how connected to football and watching tape and analyzing prospects and, and NFL that you, you actually are right now and still. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about this Eagles draft. Uh, they come away with 10 players. They make a trade. Uh, a lot of traits with speed. I mean, Howie has been talking about since the end of the season, the need to get younger, faster, and more dynamic. Uh, what stands out to you at all about their their kind of their their hall of 10 players? Well, a couple of things, and they kind of trace uh, to our history in some cases and our new thinking in, in other cases. Um, we used to believe that there were two ways to try to solve a problem. One was just target a guy you totally believed in. And you were really confident in, and if you signed or drafted or whatever it was, you solved the problem. The other was sometimes that isn't available. And then we used to we used to have a theory, which I don't think used to. I think they still do. Was we used to call it, let's throw a lot of darts at it, which meant that we don't have one clear cut answer. Let's get three or four potential guys that have a lot of upside, but aren't yet at a level where we're sure they are the answer. Uh, and I think you saw a little bit of that with some of the positions and the way they drafted. They didn't have an absolute guy that just, okay, that's the answer. So they felt like, well, let's get two or three guys, add them to the guys we've got here. Let's create some competition. And if we're right about our evaluations, one or two of these guys will probably emerge, maybe not as a rookie, but over time, one of those guys will emerge. So I think you saw that. The part that is relatively new is the emphasis on speed. And I think you're seeing that around the league. And I think that it's the right emphasis, but you have to be incredibly disciplined to not force picks for whatever reason. It's a position you need. You're obsessed about speed. You're focused on smarts. You're focused on health. There's a, there's a lot of things that can skew your objectivity. And I think one of, the te- one of the things in the league that separates the teams that do really well from the ones that don't is their ability to try to stay as objective as possible. We're all human. So nobody has any illusion that any of us are perfectly objective. But if you hold your feet to the fire and make it important and make it part of your discussions to make sure we're being objective, are we, are we picking somebody because we really need a, you know, whatever it is, a cornerback? Are we forcing this evaluation because we need, you know, so I, I think that they probably had the discipline internally to really challenge themselves to make sure they weren't forcing picks just because they were so committed to getting speed. Um, but I think moving towards speed is the right move. It's where the league is headed. You just got to make sure that you're doing it objectively. Joe, during your time with the Eagles, when you guys got it right, when everything was going well, was there something you saw? Uh, you were talking about objectivity. Was there something you picked up? You, you know what? We're doing our, our, our process is the right way. Or when you, when you miss, you guys missed some picks, do you go, you know what? We need to adjust this. We're, we're not seeing it clearly. Was there anything you guys, you saw on, on both ends of the spectrum? Well, I think the first part is actually fairly easy and, it's it's still true in this building the Eagles are in, and I think most of the successful buildings are like, we had very firm beliefs about the priorities of building a team from a position and character perspective. And you can see what it is. And we thought quarterback was the end all a million miles ahead of the next most important thing. And then you had to be able to control the two lines of scrimmage. And that didn't mean you were done. You weren't going to win a Super Bowl because of that, but you had the foundation that gave you a chance to grow from there and be competitive with the best teams in the league. So uh, and we thought it was very smart to have high character guys. It didn't mean you couldn't have any exceptions, but generally be high character to have leaders, to have smart players, to have players that were really, really driven. I think we were one of the earliest teams in the league to really put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the intangible analysis. So again, I'm not talking good guy versus bad guy. There are good guys who are moderately driven. 
And there are good guys who are so driven, they can't stand anything but success. We wanted to try to get as many of the latter as we could. And the thing that we did that we learned from was just what we've been talking about. I mean, it is really hard to stay objective all the time. You have different biases. I just mentioned we had a position bias about leadership. We liked to pick guys that were captains of their team in college. I mean, we had a whole list of things we liked. And if you looked at most of the mistakes we made, we either didn't emphasize that or didn't have all the information we needed to make sure we got that right. And, you know, you try to learn from that. But again, we're human and, and, you know, everybody fights to be objective, but it's really, really hard to stay purely objective when you're doing stuff like this. It's such a subjective evaluation. What do you think it is, Joe, that separates the teams that are perceived to be very good at drafting, like the Ravens, uh, the Steelers, I think, you know, the Seahawks as of late get that reputation versus the teams that um, have hit and misses and probably follow along those analytics that you talk about of, of hit and miss percentage. So it's impossible to know that without actually being in their building. I mean, it is so even evaluating scouts when you're not actually there and hearing the discussion and reading the reports, but I'll give you my theory from the outside in, in, uh, in, in uh, you know, watching teams. Um, and it's nothing different than the things that, you know, we're talking about. Um, there are key characteristics that drive success at each position and they're not the same. Um, so, for example, I'll give you a really obvious one that probably most fans know, but we see teams make exceptions to all the time. If you draft quarterbacks and your emphasis is arm strength versus accuracy, you're going to have a lower batting average picking quarterbacks than all the other teams in the league. And there's things like that with every position. I mean, for me, like a cornerback, it's how well they mirror. In other words, how closely they can stay in line with the guy they're covering. Um, you can be fast. You can be quick. They can flip your hips. They talk about a corner, how he has to flip his hips to change direction. You can do all those things really well, but if you can't mirror the guy you're covering well, you're going to create too many openings for completions in the NFL. So I think there are teams that are very disciplined about what they're looking for in each position that they think correlates to success. Sometimes it's success no matter where you play. Sometimes it's success based on your particular scheme and system. But the teams that I think are successful have a very clear vision of what they're looking for in particular qualities at every position. Whereas other teams are just randomly trying to add talent and they're not really that scientific about it. They're really probably not that introspective after they make mistakes as I think the really successful teams are. So when you see a team go out and they draft a quarterback because of his arm strength and somebody below them uh, gets drafted because, you know, they're really smart and accurate. I'm going to bet on the, there are no absolute rules, but I'm going to bet on the smart and accurate team being right way more often than the other. Joe, on the subject of analytics, much you people point to you as the guy who brought it into the Eagles, but let, let's be accurate with this. What did you bring in when you and Jeffrey came in 1994, and where has it gone in the Eagles building from when you brought it first in? So um, we believed strongly that the conventional wisdom in the league was entrenched to a degree that was actually hurting success. People were just doing what they'd seen people do before. They were inclined to avoid criticism. They were about self-preservation. And as a result, it was a business that changed even slower than most businesses. By the way, every business is afflicted by the first part of what I mentioned to some degree. It just seemed in football is to a greater degree. So was there a way to benefit from the fact that Jeff and I were really rookies to the league and weren't wedded in the conventional wisdom? And so we decided we'd bring in some people way smarter than us, originally a group of guys that were professors at MIT, 
uh, and gave them some projects to do for us to analyze some really at the time fairly basic things. I mean, they'd barely be called analytics today, but they were <laughs> what people were doing at the time. Uh, we did some really good work with them that was interesting. Then we actually had a group from Wharton that we worked with for a few years. Um, similar things. We were focusing on gameplay, uh, to some extent player evaluation, and a lot on team building. Like, Was our sense of what were the priorities to build a team right, and could you prove it? Or were those just our instincts and our observations? I think everybody else had their instincts and observations. Um, and then we started to bring in our own team, literally hiring the PhDs from some of the best schools in the country. And uh, it allowed us more flexibility to kind of ask our own questions, have them there at all times, bring them into the draft, never worry about any uh, questions about, you know, were they too busy because they were doing this? Were they, you know, as, as engaged and committed to the success as we were? And then we started uh, creating a team of people and it's only evolved. It's become much more complex and complicated, even at the Eagles. Uh, it's still an invaluable tool. The league hasn't begun to get all the way to what we were envisioning when we started it, which was let's take the conventional wisdom out and do things. Now it's like right now you hit people say, well, let's pay attention to the scientists. We have a health problem in the country. Let's pay attention to scientists. So there's an element of football that's math. There's an element of football that's facts. So let's isolate that and make sure we're looking at the right facts and then keep the football part football. Um, and that was the thought behind it uh, starting and why it's continued to evolve and I think be of great uh, benefit to the Eagles and the success they've had. I, you can't know again without being in a building, but there's no doubt watching the way they play and what they do, that they're in a small group of teams that are taking this further than other teams. And it doesn't necessarily decide the game, but in a, in a league where you're looking for any little incremental gain that you can get, with an upside-down draft and a cap, you're looking for anything that gives you any advantage. There's absolutely no doubt analytics. Look at the 17 draft, Joe. I mean, I mean, 17 season and the way that Doug Peterson called plays. I mean, is that what you kind of vision? Because you you said that in, in your Paul Domwich piece, you had spoke about how the draft is really not so much about analytics, but gameplay is. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so I was really just making a point about degree. I believe that analytics can help with player evaluations. Um, but I believe that it's uh, also there's a risk of putting too much weight on analytics in player evaluation. And the reason I say that is what we were talking about earlier. If you get wrong how driven a player is, how hard he's going to work, how bad he wants to be great, how well he's going to fit your scheme, you know, uh, how healthy is he going to stay? I mean, really, analytics doesn't answer those questions. And I think they're at least 50 percent of the evaluation. So analytics can help with some of the measurables, some of the correlations, successive measurables. I mean, I'll tell you one of the changes we made very early that most of the league knows now, and anybody who doesn't is really at a disadvantage. I mean, if you're looking to get a defensive lineman who's going to get a lot of sacks, in other words, that's your goal. It's not just a general defensive lineman. It's not a run stopper. It's a defensive line that's going to get a lot of sacks. The stat that correlates the highest with his successes is 10 time. Well, for 20 years, everybody thought it was the 40 time. It's not. It's his first step and his first few steps. Now I'm talking sacks. So if that's your goal and you're sitting there as a team that's still putting a lot of weight on his 40 time and you think you're drafting somebody who's going to get a lot of sacks, you're looking at the wrong stat. So in that sense, analytics you know, makes a difference. And I don't want to make it seem like it doesn't have value. It does. But I don't think it's determinative. And I think one of the things that maybe this year helped us with some of the teams that are using too much analytics was getting them back to the basics of watching tape 
and using analytics as additive. Now, when you're talking about playing a game, there's a lot of advantages to using it. Almost every decision you can make, every play can be better informed. It won't tell you a play to call. It'll just tell you if this play has a 40% share success and this has a 65, you know, barring some unusual circumstance or some unique matchup or a game situation based on the score and the time, you're probably going to call the play with a 65% chance of success more often than not. You know, I'll tell you one of the things that nobody talks about publicly in analytics that it drove that really should get a lot more coverage. Teams that are using analytics are calling plays, trying to get a first down on second down. You know how you've heard for, for years and years, oh, we got to set ourselves up for, to be, have a high percentage of success on third down. Well, you're calling different plays if your goal for the first two plays is to get in a good position to convert third down than you are if your goal is to actually get the first down on second down. Mm-hmm. Most of the team that use analytics extensively know that what we should really be doing is trying to get our first downs on second down mm-hmm. as opposed to waiting. It's better to be in second and five going for the first down, running two plays, either one of which can gain five yards, than trying to get to third and two and all of your eggs are in one basket. So those are the kinds of changes that when you get to in-game are making a huge difference in the outcomes of games and doesn't even get talked about that much. I'm glad you brought that up. I have I guess from an outsider looking in, I will say I have been curious, I want, even concerned sometimes about with the Eagles in general about how much they talk about analytics and then how much it goes into their their player procurement process to the point where is there a line that you're mentioning you've got to balance one or the other? And I've always wondered if they have a great understanding of where that line is for them. And also something I hear around the league, Joe, that maybe you can speak to. It's not just with the Eagles. It's with any team that has people in charge of analytics is that that uneasy marriage sometimes between the personnel people and the analytics people. It's hard to always expect them to understand each other and speak the same language and, and how difficult that might be for someone who's in a GM position like Howie or a president position to make it all work between these these factions that may butt heads a little bit. Yeah. The teams that are butting heads over this are going to lose. And I don't mean literally all the time, but they're fundamentally going to lose more often than when compared to the teams that have matched that problem. I mean, I've tried to explain this to some of the, the guys that, uh, you know, maybe a little bit older or a little less familiar with analytics and have an instinctive resistance to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had quality control coaches in the NFL for 60 years. And really what they did was they produced stats on what defenses, if you're an offensive coach, you have a quality control coach with you. And he's telling you that, you know, it's third and four, they're going to be in this defense most of the time. So analytics is really just an evolution and a more sophisticated version of the same thing. You just have to know where to put a lot of emphasis on it and where to have it just be a part of what you're doing. From watching the way the Eagles make decisions, Again, going back to it's always hard to stay purely objective. And I feel like I see that every once in a while. But I feel like from watching them from the outside, they have the right balance of focusing on tape and player evaluation and proper ways to build the team again. And and sometimes people refute analytics by pointing out times it's wrong. And the fact of the matter is nobody maintains that analytics is ever. Like I gave you the example. I mean, it may give you the play X is going to be successful in this scenario 65% of the time and play Y maybe 40% of the time, play, the first play is still wrong 35% of the time. So no one's sitting here going, oh, use analytics and you'll never make any mistakes. Mm-hmm. The theory is that if you use analytics effectively, you'll at least be creating some incremental likelihood that you're getting it right. Joe, roster building, you know, going forward here, and I, I wanted to get this straight because I don't think you and I have really talked about this much over the years, but 
you were unfairly criticized sometimes about, oh, Benner doesn't want guys who are 30 years or older, which if you go through it, you did keep some guys who were over 30, but there weren't a lot of them. What's your theory on or your feeling on keeping guys who are over 30, or in this case, if the Eagles bring back Jason Peters, who's 38 years old? Well, you know, you said it perfectly. I mean, we were selective. So it's not like we were throwing people out, you know, after 30 years old. We had Trey Thomases and John Runyons and Brian Dawkinses and Troy Vincents and some of our very best players that we gave, you know, new contracts to when they were over 30. But I think you've seen part of what the Eagles talk about this offseason. It is extremely hard to compete at the end of the season if you are more injured than the teams around you. And it's just irrefutable. The stats are incredibly compelling. Younger players get hurt less often. Keep in mind, I didn't say younger players don't get hurt and older players do. Again, I'm into playing the odds. If I know that I have a younger roster, I have less chance of getting hurt. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be any exceptions. It doesn't mean I wouldn't sign Jason Peters right now. But it does mean that I'm going to try to build a young roster that I know is more likely to stay healthy because that's I want them all to be playing at the end of the season. I know they won't be. I don't know which guys won't be playing. It'd be great if you knew that ahead of the season so you could build your depth where you needed to. But I know some of the guys we're starting with won't be here at the end. And the way to make that number as small as possible, there's no doubt in my mind, watching what happened with Peters, watching what happened with Malcolm Jenkins, just listening to how he talked in the offseason, that they realized that we had gotten a little too old. They wanted to get younger and faster. Well, younger is healthier, and faster is just where the game is heading. If you're slower, you're not going to beat a faster team if everything else is equal. So you don't want to play teams that are faster, and you don't want to play teams that are healthier. So you get younger and faster. That's exactly the right move, and they've struggled. They won a Super Bowl in spite of having a bunch of injuries, but that's not something you want to bet on having happened very often. So I, we absolutely, we, we weren't trying to deny it. We thought that younger was better, but it wasn't a rule. It was kind of a guiding principle. So we kept guys that were older, but you did have to keep hitting a little higher bar the older you got to keep us confident that you'd be there at the end of the season. Did that Malcolm Jenkins decision that Howie uh, made, did that feel like the Brian Dawkins scenario just replayed out all this time later, similarly? You know, a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I, Malcolm's a great player. I don't think he's in Brian's league. And obviously there's a difference with somebody that had been his career, you know, from being drafted all the way through for into his mid thirties as Brian was. And, and as Malcolm was obviously a fan favorite, but I don't think anybody really compares with Brian. So there's some similarities, but I think in terms of a degree, uh, there's obviously some, some, uh, some difference. What was similar, which you know, no one, no one will really acknowledge, but the fact is that, uh, you know, Malcolm left for not a huge contract and Brian left for not a huge contract. Um, and that makes, you know, maybe the debate about whether they should have been kept, you know, you know, more interesting or, or more reason why to have kept them than, than have let mm-hmm. them go. Okay, that's going to do it for part one of our interview on Inside the Birds with former Eagles president Joe Banner. Part two will come out with our normal Thursday morning podcast, 6 a.m., in which Adam, Joe, and I will get into owner Jeffrey Lurie, his style of ownership. We'll talk about uh, Jason Peters returning and what that would mean and also the overall trajectory of the franchise. I want to thank everybody for listening. Big thanks to our producer, Hunter Brody. Check out his work on Sports Talk with Broads on YouTube. Check out his podcast, Process, that he does with former Villanova basketball star Daryl Reynolds. And check out Hunter on Twitter, at Broads81. And of course, we thank our friends at PHLSportsNation.com as they continue to enhance the fan experience 
with their coverage of the Phillies, the Flyers, the Eagles, the Sixers. They have podcasts. They have great content daily on phlsportsnation.com, even during this pandemic and downtime in sports. So make sure you're checking them out. And of course, please check out the Inside the Birds YouTube page and insidethebirds.com for more forms of ITB content. Again, with our YouTube page, we continue to put out videos that are different from the podcast. So please, please subscribe to the Inside the Birds YouTube page for even more ITB content. All right, that'll do it. As always, we thank you for flying with us Inside the Birds.